This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Microsoft touts new FPGA platform. And Startup Translator Service takes on hyperscale giants. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. Michael, this week in HPC, we had a lot of news that came out of the Hot Chips Conference, and in particular, as you might expect, AI and deep learning were a, a huge theme that went through Hot Chips. And I know you've got a story on top500.org that that really delves into all of the different uh, processor architectures that are now targeting machine learning, not only on the startup side, but getting into details on Intel's plans and uh, NVIDIA's plans, AMD's plans, line those up against each other. Um, and uh, one big story that came out of that that we'll talk about this week in HPC is that Microsoft has revealed its FPGA strategy for its future deep learning initiatives with Azure. Right. I, I think we've talked about this before. They, uh, Microsoft has been a big proponent of FPGAs and has actually outfitted its whole Azure cloud with uh, FPGAs to support its internal uh, AI and machine learning applications, uh, basically the, the customer-facing applications. And uh, they they started this project uh, not in, in absolute time, not that long ago. It was basically 2000. Uh, 15 2013 that time frame and they've they've upgraded it basically once they they had the stratix uh five fpgas in there originally and then they started putting the area 10 fpgas which were a little bit more powerful and this latest platform that they were talking about at hot chips and looks like they're going to move forward with is the stratix 10 fpj platform they're calling this project brainwave yeah, Project Brainwave, what they're specifically looking at here is the inference side. They're looking at real-time, what they're calling real-time AI. But what we found increasingly is that there's obviously a huge difference between the training side of deep learning and the inference side of deep learning. And uh, and these FPGAs with the Stratix really seem to be targeting uh, the inference portion of this, right? Yeah, they do. Although when they talk about it at more and more they they are using this to do some of the training now at least they're experimenting with that it's not it's not quite at the level of uh of what gpus do or some of the other uh specialized processors for training do but uh these fpjs are getting more powerful and the stratix 10s in particular uh have a lot of power certainly for inferencing but also for even the some of the single precision uh and mixed precision type of uh uh, formats that you need for for the training. So I think they're they're doing it all. But yeah, the real time AI is talking about the latency on production side of inferencing, and, and they're moving forward very aggressively with this. And they think they've probably got uh, one of the fastest, if the, the not fastest, pr- platforms for for doing this at scale. Yeah, you mentioned the latency there, and I think that when it goes to the you know the end user, the the, ed, the edge, which is where a lot of the inference happens, that latency really becomes a major factor in the discussion. And and uh, Doug Berger, a lead Microsoft engineer who wrote a blog on this project, Brainwave, talked about exactly that. You've got some quotes from him in your story on top500.org. And and in particular, he talks about the oxymoronic long short-term memory architecture there, LSTM, which 
you know, sounds kind of funny when you say it, but really is is more about keeping that data out at the edge for the inference engines. Right. And I think this sort of points to one of the things that Microsoft in particular likes about FPGAs. They feel like it offers a more flexible platform than than GPUs or, or certainly CPUs for some of these other types of neural networks than than what we usually talk about. Um, there's there's a whole sort of taxonomy of neural networks now, and it's getting it seems to be getting more complex by the day. And having something like an FPGA that you can sort of reconfigure for these different types of approaches, which are actually are are quite different. Uh, it looks like it's paying some dividends for these guys right now, and they're they're pretty excited about it. Now, you point out in your article that this initiative, the primary thing they're going to do with it right away is is build these capabilities into some of their consumer-facing hyperscale applications like Skype and Bing. Right. But you have to wonder how this becomes publicly available in Azure or uh, I think more to the point, uh, what kind of capabilities they can now offer to enterprises that have their enterprise data in Azure? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the big challenge for them, trying to wrap something a little more user-friendly around the FPGA so that people can use them. I, I think they're definitely heading there, but uh, that's a that's a bigger project. They've talked about it a little bit uh, in the abstract, but uh, to get the level of of programmability and, and the APIs that, that you're going to need to do this is, is going to take quite a bit of work on the software side. But I think they are heading there. It's just going to be uh, a little more time-consuming than to do their own internal service acceleration. All right. So Microsoft Project Brainwave using Intel Stratix FPGAs to do the inference on their deep learning and some of their training. Also this week in HPC, Michael, we've got a, a new hyperscale company here. Now, before you you know say hyperscale and think they're the scale of a Google, this is more of a tier three hyperscale company. They do have a supercomputing scale of infrastructure for a web-based application infrastructure. So they're kind of in that bottom tier of hyperscale right now. But it's a company called DeepL out of Germany. And they're single focus right now on language translation. And it appears that they're doing that at a very high level of quality, really taking on the hyperscale giants in this single capability. Right. They, they've talked about this on their website and in their announcement, which, which just came out this week, that uh, according to at least professional translators talking to a number of them, uh, they picked uh, this deep L translator by a three to one margin over the ones that we normally associate as, as sort of top of the line, which is, you know, Google and Microsoft and Facebook. Uh, they have very, uh, very mature, well, mature for language translations. They have mature language translators and they're highly rated. And especially Google's, I think, is, is generally considered the best overall. But this one actually, from at least from the point of view of these particular uh, human translators, they thought DeepL was, was better than any of those. In fact, they also ran this against the something called the Blue Benchmark, which sort of does the same thing, except it's, a, it's an automated... Uh, accuracy or an automated accuracy determination of of how good these translations are and it's scored deep l as as better than these uh competitors as well so uh, actually the proof is a, a lot of people started playing with these and i had i actually played with a little bit too my general impression was just doing the limited work i did 
uh, for, for maybe half an hour, it does offer something at least on par with Google and maybe in some cases a little bit better and in a few cases a little bit better. So I would say it's probably living up to to, to some of what uh, the company is touting here and and maybe if looking at some of the other languages, it would de- do even better. Now, we should mention it doesn't do as many languages as these other uh these big web companies are doing in their language translation right now. It just does English, German, uh, French, Spanish, Italian, Polish, and Dutch. It's working on the others. It's training for the others right now, but it, it basically does translations between those, and uh, it's going forward with that. Yeah, this translation field is, is definitely a big area that's taken off, and it's an area that uh, everyone touts as being a natural for AI, that if you can collect enough data, the computer can learn how to do this faster, more effectively, in a larger scale than uh, than humans generally can. Now, translation is difficult. There's a certain school book level of translation that can be learned uh, if, if everyone's speaking or writing properly, but you get into colloquialisms or conversationalisms, the things that come up in Facebook posts, and you know that can be very difficult to translate. And industry-specific jargon can also be very dif- uh, difficult to translate, which, again, points to the need to have a, a broad AI that's capable of these things. Uh, so it's interesting to see a, a new startup in this area, and there's a couple of interesting details about it. One is that they claim that they built their own five petaflop supercomputer, which is housed in uh, Iceland in order to do this. Now, they talk about Iceland being a natural place to house it, and I can understand uh, can understand that. We've even seen companies like Vern Global and Advania offering data center outsourcing services for high-performance computing in Iceland. We don't have any sense of whether one of those services is involved in this, but we know they've got a, a five petaflop capability and you know they didn't specify how many bits that is but they did say they would be uh highly ranked on the top 500 list which implies that they're talking about 64 bit and uh you know it's interesting they've got this this massive supercomputing uh technology that at some point they purchased or are renting and have deployed for this application yeah it also sounds like they had very high rates of of translation uh live when when the users were inputting the whatever text they had, so they were able to turn that around basically in real time or in interactive time. So it sounds like they were using this system uh, at both ends. Um, like I said, they haven't talked about it very much. They haven't even said if they're if they're renting it. I mean, obviously they they've built or they've helped design it, uh, but this is a very expensive supercomputer at five at five petaflops. That would be you know certainly several millions of dollars of computer and maybe uh certainly at least a a million or two million a year in in uh in energy costs just per year even in a place like iceland yeah it's certainly a big cost which brings up the big question is you know what's their game here i mean if it's their free service what's the revenue model it doesn't seem like it's advertising or or pay through by the click it's it, to me the the implication is that they design this with the hope that more things can be developed on top of these APIs for translation that doesn't have to be a translation engine. They could use the AI for other things, mm-hmm. some of which might be licensable in the near term. But the bigger uh, question is, are they trying to line themselves up to get acquired by one of the major hyperscale providers by showing they can do this better than anyone else? And if you want the best technology, you should buy us. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I haven't 
talk about it in that way. They, they did talk about their APIs and they talked about maybe it could be used for digital assistants or dictionaries or, or professional translation programs. Certainly that would be some sort of license arrangement or maybe outright uh, sale. But yeah, it sounds like if this, if this translator pans out the way it's supposed to and, and does rival the, you know, the, the big three translators out there, it's, it's going to get bought by somebody for, uh, what to them would be a pittance, but would to, to the developers would be uh, plenty plenty of money. So this this technology, if it if it is as good as they say it is, uh, it, it'll get it'll get bought up by somebody. If not one of the big hyperscale players, certainly one of the IT players, where this becomes a critical piece of technology. And and language translation does have a lot of applications, and it can be monetized in a whole lot of different ways. So it's uh, it's it's a it's a valuable, it's a valuable commodity if if, uh, if if it's more accurate than than what's out there now. An interesting story, Michael, and interesting to continue to watch the interplay between HPC and the uh, AI and deep learning and hyperscale space, which is going to be continue to be a theme throughout the year. It certainly was at Hot Chips, and uh, and and we'll continue to see at other conferences all the way up through supercomputing. So, a couple of interesting stories this week, Michael. I really appreciate it, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to this week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com. 